the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 421 for June 29th, 2014. Google I.O. headlines the week, Sprint announces several network milestones, and Microsoft wants to compete in cloud storage with OneDrive price reductions. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, the iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, first off this week, Google started it with the I.O. conference on Wednesday and a peek into its new OS, service updates, and new hardware. Google started out by announcing a new program called Android One with the intention of reaching more customers around the world. The program provides reference hardware and software features for OEMs to use in creation of low-cost devices. Google will debut Android One hardware made by Micromax, Carbon, and Spice in India later this year. Then Google talked about the next version of Android, dubbed L for now, saying it represents one of the biggest releases of Android ever, including 5,000 new APIs for developers. Google is looking to streamline the user experience across all its platforms, including smartphones, tablets, Chrome OS, and traditional computers. To do so, it created a new design language called Material Design. Now, Material Design adds a new element to the user interface by allowing developers to designate depth in their applications as well as colors. Think iOS today. The company also updated its Roboto font and added animated touch feedback to apps. The design lets uh, developers create more seamless animations between screens and apps with the same user interface across platforms. A first draft of the new design tools was released to developers this week. Now back to the new OS. Google talked about new features that will eventually appear in the next release of Android later this year. First off, Google has re-envisioned the lock screen to incorporate more notifications, as well as the ability to automatically unlock the device when a trusted wearable is nearby. Android L brings the material design language to the web to improve the overall experience, such as overlapping cards to represent open Chrome tabs. L will also offer a new keyboard design. And moving forward, Android L will rely on the ART runtime engine instead of the Dalvik one, which has served the OS for several years. Google says ART offers two times improvement in app performance across the platform. ART is also more memory efficient and is optimized for 64-bit processing. The platform includes the Android extension pack to improve graphics performance. Google worked to improve its platform efficiency too, and also services and projects such as Project Volta were created to improve battery life by optimizing applications for developers along with the core apps on the device. Android L adds its own battery saver tool to extend the life of a battery when it reaches critical levels. L includes more malware protection and ways for Android users to secure their device and make sure they are not or they are scanned for safety. Google said that the L release will arrive sometime this fall, though developers will have access to it earlier, and by earlier, uh, they're already seeing it now, and the people are playing around with it and uh, showing off screenshots and whatnot with it. Now, moving away from the software and into the hardware, Google provided its first look at Android Wear. This is its platform for wearable devices. Android Wear will first be deployed on smartwatches with LG, Samsung, and Motorola making the first hardware. Much of Android Wear's functionality comes from Google Now, with voice control 
controlled searches and actions. The user interface includes multiple screens that are accessed by swiping up and down and back and forth. Many of Android Wear's initial features will be focused on interacting with smartphone-based notifications. The Google Now functionality adds tools such as voice reminders, voice search, and others to the platform. Android Wear supports third-party applications via a full SDK made available to developers this week. The app is uh, apps are automatically installed on Wear when the corresponding version is installed on the associated smartphone. The LG G Watch and the Samsung Gear Live are available now with the Moto 360 arriving later this summer. Now let's pause here before we move on to kind of some of the other stuff and just to kind of recap what we've, what we've talked about here. So first off, you know, Google is coming out here and we've got this this L operating system that uh, could be called Lollipop. It could be called, you know, Lemoncello, whatever you want to call it. It's a, it's an L version of it. And uh, really, the biggest thing for users is going to be what you're seeing uh, when you're interacting with the operating system. A lot different design, uh, but the functionality is, of course, still pretty much the same, same core apps and all that. But uh, then you take that and you integrate the wearable side of it. And Google's spending a lot of time and uh, effort on this. And I think there's going to be a very big shift in Android usage and p- how people are using uh, these devices. One of the things I read this week that, that really kind of resonated with me is that uh, the, the, the wearable, especially with the Android Wear project, could be uh, Android's iPad. And what they meant by that was basically that it was one of those things where you went, I don't see any real use for this when you first see it. And then you start using it and it becomes more and more integrated with your experience on that particular device. The Android ecosystem is now becoming more solidified here where you're buying an Android smartphone, an Android tablet, perhaps you're getting a Chromebook as well. And now you're picking up a wearable. And so all of these things are now are blending more together into an ecosystem that doesn't really allow you to get outside of it. So while Android is still open in terms of the different hardware manufacturers being able to use it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can use the functionality of an Android Wear with, say, a Windows phone or an iPhone. And so, uh, again, they are, they are starting to, to meld all of this stuff together as well, which obviously I think from a business perspective is smart because it forces people to stay within that ecosystem, but also at the same time, it's going to isolate people who may want it but don't want to change their smartphone yeah absolutely and of course with uh you know putting in more design and getting a better stronger design language in there to get more user consistency i mean that was my that is my biggest complaint about android is still the the applications and the design it's it's inconsistent you know the back button sometimes does this sometimes does something different and uh you know the applications don't feel the same they don't look the same like what apple has with the you know the ios and how they've kind of uh created design standards so google's becoming a little bit stronger in the recommendations and their making it easier to, to make it consistent and things like that. And that goes a long way because that's, you know, the, the, the front facing, that's what you're interacting with on a day-to-day basis. In addition to all the SDKs that they're adding and creating all these new things, it, it is quite a step here in, in the Google operating system. I'm pretty excited about it, and I was I spent quite a bit of time on Wednesday night researching and reading through the stuff that had been posted and the, you know the 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 things that had been announced at the keynote. And I, it's it's not to say that I'm I'm running out and I'm I'm jumping on all of this stuff right now, but to see what they're doing and to create uh, a much more fluid experience in in the ecosystem is is uh, I think very very good for Android. And I, I think you know it started with Project Butter, and then they've got these new projects like Project Volta that are are really helping to 
create more user experience type things because I think I think that needs to be the ultimate focus for them because the rest of the stuff is going to fall into place once they get that that UI taken care of uh, you know that user experience I should say taken care of and once they do that then like I said the rest of it's just going to fall in place for them it is and and okay so yes you're not going to jump on Android right now but what this what this means for the people like us who use iPhones right now this is competition so if you know there's some great features here that deserves to be looked at and becomes kind of commonplace then we could be uh you know probably experiencing these features in a year or two on uh on apple uh platforms and then windows will follow the same so what it does is create you know we've got these good things it creates competition in the market so you know everybody steps their game up a bit so that's this is good for everybody to have these kind of innovations and some of these kind of different uh avenues that they're exploring well, and I tell you, when you look at these wearables too, I mean, the you know, there's there's three types or three different devices that are out there now, and uh, depending on what you're looking for, it may or may not be of interest. But you know, the G Watch and the Gear Live, you can go and buy right now. But that Moto 360, I mean, that is the first smartwatch that I've seen that actually looks like something I would wear. It's it's round. It's not a, a you know a square block. Um, it's got some actual you know that that chamfered edge like the iPhone does. It's got what appears to be a nice sheet of glass across the front of it, and it just looks like a nice watch. And I like that idea more than I like something that is more function. I, I, I like the idea of that this is something that I would be okay with putting on, you know, with, uh, with a suit jacket. And I do agree with you there, Mickey. For me, it's personally too big for my wrist still. It's way too thick, way too big. But but I agree with the look. That is now, that, that's where it needs to be for, for me to even consider one uh, same as you. So we'll see what happens with these three and if any other manufacturers come out with something for themselves uh, to offer as well. But, uh, you know, LG, Moto, Samsung, uh, potentially HTC coming out with one. But, uh, you know, the big guys now have their wearables set, at least for the next season. And of course, we're talking so much about, you know, the health sensors and all the stuff that the wearables really create. A, 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 it's a great outlet for a bunch of sensors, temperature, you know, heart rate, uh, blood pressure, all the stuff we can you can start integrating in this. So for health and fitness people, you know, it's taking kind of to this next level from the Fitbits and the bands and the up. So we'll see how that works. And this could be a passing fad too. this may be a one or two year thing. And then all of a sudden, everybody just drops all this uh, sensor stuff, health stuff, health stuff like a hot potato. But we'll just have to wait to see what what happens yeah indeed we will uh, and it wasn't all wearables so let's move on here and talk about what's happening in the car google announcing android auto this is its new platform for connecting smartphones to select cars similar to apple's carplay android auto will project a simplified version of key applications onto the car's infotainment system like android Wear, android auto relies heavily on google now and its voice-based commands for interacting with the system it brings over the phone application google maps play music search and a handful of others that drivers can access when in the car android auto will be baked into the l release of android which is expected to arrive of course in the fall two dozen car makers will support the platform with a rollout of cars starting at the end of this year no word of course on how to retrofit the service into current vehicles but i would imagine third-party radio makers will be working closely with them to do so now on to the living room google announcing android tv this is a new platform that will bring features of the android operating system over to smart tvs the platform can be embedded in hd tvs as well as standalone boxes it lets android smartphones and tablets connect directly to tvs and control them android tv supports the play store content including games and other third-party apps some of the initial batch of applications that will work include netflix plex iheartradio tune in radio and 
and others. Android TV supports casting as well, which will let smartphone and tablet owners push content from their devices over to the Android TV. The Google Play Store for television sets will launch in the fall with Android TV set-top boxes as well. Television makers such as Sony and Sharp will incorporate Android TV into their 2015 lineup. Google also talked about its Chromecast product. This is the thumb drive plug-in for HDTVs that can project both audio and video content from Android devices over two TVs. And until this week, Chromecast required users to connect via the same Wi-Fi network. Chromecast is being updated and will soon have the ability to cast from separate Wi-Fi networks. This means people can push content to a TV even when they aren't nearby using Google's cloud for authentication. Chromecast also adds the ability to exactly mirror what's on the screen of an Android smartphone or tablet. The new features for Chromecast will arrive later this year. And as for the Chrome OS, Google said that Android applications are coming to its Chrome platform with access to select apps for the desktop and laptop hardware. Chrome users will receive notifications pushed from their nearby Android devices over to their laptops. Android apps appear in a phone-sized window on the desktop. The new capability will be reserved for Android devices running that L release. And finally, on the enterprise front, Google announced Android for Work. This is a new capability of Android that will allow people to separate their personal and business information and keep them secure. Android for Work is based in part on Samsung's Knox Enterprise Security Platform. It will function without requiring developers to recode their apps. It gives business IT admins the ability to bulk install applications on remote employee devices, as well as manage IT policies and wipe lock devices as needed. Android for Work is compatible with all versions of Android running Ice Cream Sandwich and later. So we have quite a few uh, auxiliary functions here. You know, obviously Android in the car is a big deal here. We've got, uh, you know, Chromecast, which is a $35 device that looks like they're going to be adding some major functionality to compete with the Apple TV and the AirPlay style system here. So we've got, you know, another thing to deal with. And we've got the enterprise front, too, which is kind of a big thing. Like for me, I still don't really see Android as a great way to to uh, to be deployed across enterprises. But each time we get a little, you know, one step closer to doing it, especially with something like this. Yeah, yeah, and I think the you know the work side of things, the enterprise side, is obviously very important. As more BYOD companies are you know are out there and, and really causing people to make a choice when they're going and buying a new device. Are they going to buy something that uh, is running Android or are they going to buy something running iOS? Those are really the choices uh, that people are making today. And uh, the, the the more control that a company can have over the particular business functions of that phone, the better, of course. And so it's uh, it's a great way to get this integrated. And, um, you know, if you're looking to to get in all in in the Google ecosystem, certainly you can bring it to, you know, the big screen in your living room, into your car, etc. So lots of lots of things to love about all their introductions this year. And I think Google really kind of hit it out of the park as far as, you know, touching on all of the important things. It wasn't nearly as exciting, I will say, as some of the prior uh, things that they've announced. You know, we kind of knew a lot of the stuff that was happening. And in years past, we've seen some some more interesting type of uh, announcements. But either way, uh, these are things that we needed to see. And so Google got them all out there. And we'll see hardware with uh, the new L uh, operating system coming out later this year though uh, we don't have any timing for that quite yet. Well, lawmakers on Monday revising a bill to make it legal for people to unlock their cell phones. Multiple senators introduced the Unlocking Consumer Choice and Wireless Competition Act last year, 
following when unlocking phones became illegal due to the Library of Congress allowing an exemption to the Digital Millennium Copyright Act to expire. According to the new bill, they say our laws should not prohibit consumers from carrying their cell phones to a new network, and we should promote and protect competition in the wireless marketplace. This is important to consumers in every state, and I look forward to beginning consideration in our bipartisan legislation this week. That was from Senator Leahy. Now, despite agreeing to broad terms, the bill still falls under the DMCA and leaves the ultimate decision up to the Library of Congress. If enacted, it will be legal for to unlock cell phones only for a period of 14 months before the policy must be reviewed once again by the Library of Congress. The wording of the bill mandates the policy be reviewed once every three years, which opens up the possibility for it to be again struck down. The legislation is different from the NTIA and FCC mandates that wireless network operators make it easy for consumers to unlock their devices. Most of the largest carriers have already begun putting policies in place that allow consumers to unlock devices once terms of their agreement are met. Next up, the U.S. Supreme Court on Wednesday ruled unanimously that police must obtain a warrant before they can search cell phones of people they arrest. Individual states vary on whether or not law enforcement agencies must have that warrant to search a suspect's cell phone. The decision is likely to set precedent for federal law and impact state laws moving forward. Earlier this month, the appellate court in Georgia agreed that police need to obtain warrants before they can search phones. The cases are of each of the involved defendants who were convicted of crimes based on evidence obtained in searches of their cell phones without warrants. Now, uh, good news, I guess, if you're a privacy advocate, that uh, you'll now have to have a warrant before someone can take a look at your phone. Obviously, law enforcement here seeing this as kind of a blow to how they're building some of their cases. Obviously, lots of information found on a phone. Two sides of this one, obviously, very strong feelings on both sides. And uh, so we'll kind of watch how this one plays out and how further decision making is done here for law enforcement and how uh, these types of cases uh, go up through the court system in the future and uh, whether or not they get thrown out. So still a lot to go go on here just because there's a ruling on this doesn't mean that we've seen all of the details of what is going to happen in sprint news sprint on monday announced several new network milestones including that hd voice is now available to sprint customers nationwide sprint first launched hd voice with the htc evo 4g in 2012 and says 28 of its smartphones are now capable of making hd voice calls sprint also announced that its lte network has expanded to 28 new markets and now reaches a total of 471 cities and 225 million people. Sprint expects that number to climb to 250 million later this year. Sprint expected, uh, or excuse me, expanded the reach of Sprint Spark by three markets, including St. Louis, Winston-Salem, and Greensboro, North Carolina. Sprint also announced the forthcoming availability of Wi-Fi calling on select cell phones. With Wi-Fi calling, Sprint customers will be able to make and send calls and texts via Wi-Fi in more than 100 countries around the world as well as here in the States. Wi-Fi calling will launch on, in a few weeks. Finally, Sprint is prepping a deployment of 8T8R. 8T8R is a multiple antenna technology that combines eight transmit and eight receive radios at a cell site to boost the performance of the Sprint Spark LTE TDD 2.5 gigahertz spectrum. The 8T8R radios are being tested and will go live in Spark markets later this summer. This is an interesting one because I actually hadn't spent uh, or seen much about this AT8R and uh, so I did a little research into it and it makes a lot of sense if you if you're talking about what you're trying to do with this higher frequency spectrum. Obviously you're not trying to cover big areas when you've got the 2.5 gigahertz stuff in play. You're trying to cover a dense area, a small area whether it's in an, an urban environment where you've got a lot of people in in high density housing or office buildings or what have you or say in a shopping center or a movie uh, 
you know, theater or in a sports stadium or whatever it is uh, by putting m- multiple antennas on there uh, and being able to reuse the spectrum over and over. It makes a whole lot of sense. So this this is a great thing. And a Sprint customer should see fantastic boosts in their speeds if you've got a device in a market that can take advantage of Sprint Spark where this type of technology is deployed. So this is a this is a nice thing for Sprint to be doing. Sprint also announcing on Monday that customers will once again be able to test its network and services for a period of 30 days with no risk. The move is a response to T-Mobile's recently announced one-week free trial, letting potential customers try an Apple iPhone 5S on T-Mobile's network for one week for free. Sprint guarantees that customers not wholly satisfied with the service during the first 30 days may return their handsets for a full refund. Sprint will also waive any activation or service charges incurred during the initial trial period. Sprint used to offer for a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, but shortened it to 14 days back in 2011. The satisfaction guarantee is available beginning June 27th to new customers, select small business customers, and current customers who add a new line of service. On to T-Mobile news. T-Mobile this week announcing customers can now purchase an Apple iPhone and use it with T-Mobile's prepaid no-contract plans. T-Mobile is offering iPhone buyers a $50 discount off the price of the phone when paired with a prepaid plan. Customers who buy an iPhone and use it with T-Mobile's simple choice plans will receive a $50 iTunes gift gift card as well. T-Mobile also announced that it is selling the iPhone 5S, iPad Air, and iPad Mini with Retina Display with T-Mobile's LTE at Costco locations in the U.S. T-Mobile says Costco is offering devices at competitive out-of-pocket prices. AT&T also this week saying that the GoPhone prepaid service is now available in Apple retail stores. So if you're looking to get prepaid on AT&T with an iOS device, you can now do so with a 5S, 5C, and 4S on AT&T. Cricket Wireless stores and at att.com also selling those devices. In other news from T-Mobile, the carrier confirmed that it's not going to meter or throttle any data generated from its network speed testing applications. This, an effort to entice and show customers just how fast the T-Mobile network is when they've exceeded their monthly data buckets. Although the carrier's new initiative could raise net neutrality concerns, we'll talk about that in a bit, the carrier said that it is not prioritizing specific kinds, nor is it accepting payments. The carrier's said the only goal is to show off the data speeds it can supply. Now, this kind of made me, uh, you know, give me a little bit more interest in this. And it, it, it sounds silly, but I am a I'm a big music streamer. I, I stream a lot of music, which we now know is not going to be counted into the amount of data that you use on T-Mobile. And I do speed tests all the time for no good reason. Joey knows this. I'm a, a speed test fanatic and I it uses probably a good quarter of my data every month. Not kidding. I think so, too. And uh, that's a real interesting application here. But, you know, you can speed test is such a it's such a different style service. I don't think you really have much of a a trouble here arguing net neutrality as far as, you know, not uh, as far as having this not included in your daily allowance. I mean, nobody would complain that, you know, a testing service, which is used to prove, uh, you know, the the stability and speed of your network, uh, not counting towards your uh, allotment is it's a good thing, actually. I mean, this really is is a good thing. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, we actually have a, a question later coming up or a comment rather on this. So we'll discuss that a little bit more because uh, certainly it's it's kind of on, uh, it's, it's one of those things where as we've started to hear this now, you wonder just how many of the other carriers are going to jump on something like this. And if it's going to be, this is the norm where you're now starting to get data that is, you know, not accounted towards it. But 
again, they're saying there's no payments going back and forth, which is really the big thing. And so nice to see that T-Mobile is doing that. On to device news, Sprint on Monday announcing that it will sell the Galaxy S5 Sport from Samsung. This is a variant of the Galaxy S5 with a rubber grip and physical front buttons. The Sport includes fitness applications such as Map My Fitness. Sprint is offering $50 off a Galaxy Gear Fit plus 50% off certain sport headphones. Like the standard Galaxy S5, the Sport is water and dust resistant. Other features are specs, and specs are the same, including a 16 megapixel camera, heart rate monitor, full HD display, 2.5 gigahertz processor, and the Sport can be pre-ordered and will be shipping on July 25th, $650 outright or zero down and $27.09 a month for two years, available in either electric blue or cherry red. Microsoft on Tuesday announcing the Nokia X2. This is a low-cost smartphone running a modified version of Android. The device follows three other Android handsets announced by Nokia in February. The X2 has a 4.3-inch clear black display, dual-core 1.2 gigahertz Snapdragon 200 processor with 1 gig of RAM, 5-megapixel main camera, and VGA user-facing camera. Microsoft said the X2 will have three home screen configurations, including one that resembles Windows Phone with resizable color tile uh, one called Fastlane, which prioritizes recent apps and calendar events, one with Windows Phone's ability to pin select items to the home screen. And though the X2 runs Android, it ships with Microsoft services on board, including Outlook, Email, Bing Search, Skype, OneDrive, and OneNote. The X2 will be offered in a range of colors and rear shells that are interchangeable. Price point starts at $135, both uh, sold in emerging markets and in others around the world. Uh, they will have support for two SIM cards. No word, though, if a single SIM version would be coming available. In software news, Microsoft on Monday updating its storage cloud service OneDrive with more storage for less money at all price points. Microsoft announced a standard free 7 gig storage account for OneDrive users uh, a few years back, and that will now be increased to a free 15 gigs for all users. Customers who need more than 15 gigs can choose a plan that starts at $2 a month for 100 gigabytes and $4 a month for 200 gigs. Previously, those price points were $7.50 and $11.50 per month, respectively. Further, Microsoft is increasing OneDrive's capacity available to all Office 365 subscribers for both professional home and student subscriptions all the way up to one terabyte of data. The increases are all automatic and will go into effect next month. Now, uh, I don't use the OneDrive. I have a OneDrive account, but I don't actually use it regularly. Um, and uh, one of those reasons is I have Dropbox and I have Google Drive. And, and so this is certainly extra storage is nice, but I don't necessarily use it. Joey, are you using OneDrive at all? Are you using Office 365 at all? And uh, how are you integrating this into what you're using? So I do have Office 365 uh, subscription. So I only use this for the, the documents I'm actively working on, which uh, you know, typically, since I use a desktop computer mostly for Office, uh, I'm using Dropbox for 99% of everything. But if I know I'm going to be needing it in, on the iPad, then I'll copy it over. And that's the only time I use it. Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm not a not a big user of this at all. I'm not. There's no big. There's no use. I don't use it at all. So, um, you know, but it is nice to see that they're kind of, you know, melding um, or matching. That is the uh, the price points here that Google Drive is offering. And so if you're not wanting to go in the Google ecosystem, you can now stick with OneDrive from Microsoft for the same price. Just the thing is, it's got, uh, you know, there's so much more uh, availability with Dropbox and even the Google Drive right now on apps, especially on the iPad, iOS, and even on, you know, desktop applications and tie-ins. Uh, it's still easier to use those other two services compared to OneDrive, at least at the moment. 
Yeah, and that's a good that's a good point. And it's all about the experience and, and how it's actually integrating to what it is that you're trying to do. Another software news, Google on Wednesday rolling out updates to its productivity applications in Google Drive. The main new feature is the ability to edit Microsoft Word documents online or offline natively. No need for plugins or conversions. Google Docs users will be able to make whatever edits they need to in Word documents and then send them back as Word files. Google Drive also brings slides to mobile devices for the first time. Android smartphone and tablet owners can now create, edit, and interact with slide presentations on their devices. Another new feature is called Suggested Edits. This is a new tool called Commenting Access uh, and allows document owners to give others the ability to add comments or suggestions to documents, but not the power to actually make edits in them. This leaves the document owner in control. Lastly, Google has given Drive a performance boost, both on mobile devices and on the web. They say that Drive now takes advantage of background syncing, so files load faster and delivers quicker search results. The new versions of Drive, Docs, Sheets, and Slides are available in the Play Store and iTunes app store. Questions and comments this week. First up today is a voicemail from Ben. Hello, Mickey and Joey. Ben Forrest here, Red Bank, New Jersey. Mac Consultant again. I was listening with interest to Aaron's comment last week about John Legere, the chief executive of T-Mobile, and also your discussion following his uh, lengthy um, voicemail, like this one. Anyway, uh, being a T-Mobile customer, and you may recall that I called some time ago, I think it's maybe a year, with my experience of switching from AT&T to T-Mobile and uh, how much, the dramatic amount of money I'm saving, and I went through all the details there, but let's just suffice it to say that I went from a $270 a month bill for four phones to $135. Um, I did pay a uh, $125 or $150 pay off a phone fee with AT&T to get my phone so that I could use it on the T-Mobile network. Um, but... Suffice it to say, I am actually somewhat sympathetic to T-Mobile's chief executive's characterizations. I know that you found them sensational, but I really feel like I was being hosed by AT&T. That's a lot of money. I have four phones and a family, and uh, that was a little under $300 a month I'm paying for service. And not only that, um, with T-Mobile, they actually I pay the actual financing cost of the phone without basically any interest or them pocketing a tremendous amount of money like AT&T. I mean, I figured out how much I actually paid for the 4S uh, that I bought with AT&T previously with a two-year contract, and it was just under $1,200 for an $800 phone. So, um, they, you know, they really took me to the cleaners uh, with that two-year contract, uh, you know, in two ways. I got the very expensive monthly bill, and uh, I got hammered by paying all that much more money for the uh, for the phone itself, so yeah, I think I think T-Mobile makes some very valid points, and I I don't consider myself really young. I'm 51, and I think a dollar is a dollar, and around here T-T-T-Mobile is is adequate. It's uh, mm, I'm going to say probably team the AT&T is a little better, but it's not that much better. And when I say a little better, I'm saying. I would get an AT&T signal in a few more places than I get with T-Mobile generally. But actually, the, uh, the 4G and LTE from T-Mobile are really excellent, and I couldn't be happier. 
Uh, around here, Verizon is king in terms of service everywhere. Uh, although, of course, there are certainly gaps with Verizon. Um, so I don't really consider, I, haven't, I didn't consider Verizon too seriously uh, due to some past incidents with their billing and my Fios and a few other things along those lines. Anyway, um, that's in a nutshell, guys. Uh, go T-Mobile. And I am, I am concerned about this so-called uh, merger with Sprint and T-Mobile. And um, I wonder if T-Mobile will be, uh, allow T-Mobile to keep the name if Sprint really is going to buy it. And I'm, I'm thinking that probably without the disruptor that T-Mobile is in the marketplace now, I think prices will probably, there'll be less pressure on lowering prices across the board. So uh, I am concerned. And I think I, even with T-Mobile's plan, I'm paying plenty a month. Thank you. All right, Ben, thank you very much for the voicemail. And, uh, you know, thanks for your comments on there. And I obviously know you've been a T-Mobile user for a while. And so nice to hear uh, your experiences there. Next up is a question from Dean. He says, love the show as always. In episode 420, you jokingly mentioned ordering toilet paper while on the toilet using Amazon Prime. Would that delivery be a drone to the bathroom window? Oh, very funny, Dean. Getting to my question, I often find myself in a mobile situation using 4G data when all of a sudden my Verizon Motorola Ultra as well as Galaxy attempt to connect to a local Wi-Fi from a passing restaurant or such, interrupting my data session. I've noticed a Wi-Fi setting feature to ignore weak Wi-Fi signals, which helps in this scenario, unless I'm in my basement of my house. I was just wondering if this is something you find uh, happens to you and be annoying as well. Thanks for your feedback, Dean in Connecticut. And P.S., thanks for the mention of the T-Mobile test drive. I'll be signing up for that in an effort to explore their network. Dean. Well, thanks, Dean, very much. Yeah, weak Wi-Fi is, is certainly one of my pet peeves. Um, I often will not connect to a Wi-Fi network for fear of this issue. Uh, I'll just use the data on my device because I don't want to deal with the phone having walking away from it, uh, that network, or passing by, like you mentioned here, and having the phone try and connect to it and then have all sorts of, I call it Wi-Fi purgatory because it just it doesn't work. It happens, you know, if, I'll, I'll start streaming music in my car and pull out of the driveway and, you know, exactly what's about to happen. You get that pause for a while until it disconnects. But um, I also have a, a Wi-Fi network at my office that would be very handy uh, in the kitchen area where I have no service at all, uh, where I spend some time every day, but my phone just hangs on it and other parts of the office uh, where a better signal is present. So basically, I refuse to use my phone uh, in that area some of the time just because of this issue. And so, yeah, absolutely. This is extremely frustrating to me. Um, I regularly go in and just turn Wi-Fi off because if I know I'm going to be walking around a lot, I'd almost just rather have nothing than see it do this because it's uh, it's just so frustrating for me. Absolutely, Dean. Totally agree with you on this yeah, one. Yeah, and, and I see it, but not too much. It doesn't bother me to the enough where I have to turn Wi-Fi on and off uh, typically. Every once in a while, that does happen, but uh, it's not too bad for me. But I, I can definitely see where this can become an issue. And and Mickey, you'd mentioned that you have this uh, going on at, uh, at the office. What um, Do you have... Uh, uh, Wi-Fi at the office where it's all the same SSID and then it's just locking onto a particular base station with a particular channel that it's not letting go of and not using one that's closer or how is that uh, what's actually going on for you yeah it's it's that's a very good question so um, I have a we have a kind of a I'll call it a campus-wide Wi-Fi network uh, that is is you know out in parts of the parts of the area that don't have 
um, that don't that that are just kind of like open, and it's an open network for anyone to use. And then in my particular building, uh, there's another Wi-Fi network. And so the problem is that that particular one that goes kind of outside the building um, also can potentially help out in the area, this kitchen area that I have. Um, but unfortunately, it would then hang onto that when I go near windows and other parts of the office because it's then outside of my particular building and that is, that doesn't really work. So I have to, uh, I just use the Wi-Fi in my building and then when I go into this other area, every once in a while I'll connect to this network but then inevitably I'll forget that I'm connected to it and I'll be trying to do something just back in at my actual desk and then it doesn't work. So different SSIDs, uh, unfortunately, that uh, I have to contend with and I think this is a big deal for certain people, you know, people that work in offices that have other Wi-Fi networks around them from other office users or whatever uh, where you know you may have connected to it you go and you visit somebody else's office and and they've got a different ssid and then you go back to your office uh and then it's you know you're still hanging on that and then you got to go in and delete it because otherwise it just doesn't work and so that's kind of the issue yeah if the ssid was all the same it really wouldn't be a big deal you'd figure that it would you know choose the strongest signal but no unfortunately that's not the case uh okay because that for for me my office i just uh deployed some extra wi-fi uh access points around the building and of course it's all the same ssid but i have them on on non-overlapping different channels like 1 6 uh 12 or whatever the last channel is i can't remember off the top of my head here so i haven't had an issue where i'm not uh connected um every once in a while i look down i'll see the signal strength is low or high but that's probably depending on which one it's connecting to and depending on my location in the building so that's working pretty good for me right now yeah i i I guess i don't manage the networks and so i don't really have a whole lot of say in it but uh, ultimately it's it can be frustrating and I do provide quite a bit of feedback about what I like and don't like about, uh, about how these networks work. So anyway, Dean, thank you very much for that. Definitely understand where you're coming from with that. Next up here, a voicemail from James. This message is for the cell phone junkie. How you doing? My name is James Lewis from Bridgeport, Connecticut. And I have a question in regards to Android wearables. Of course, that's the new thing now. The Android wearables were announced. And I'm wondering out of the two iPhones, there's, there's two wearables that have been announced, the uh, Galaxy Gear Live and the LG Jeep watch. I was wondering, in regards to both of those wearable watches, will you be able to answer a phone call with the watches, so therefore using the phone like a speakerphone, I mean using the wearable as a speakerphone? If you can answer those questions, I really appreciate it. And I'd like to say I enjoy you guys' show. Um, you make my commute somewhat bearable. And I um, look forward to hearing your answer. Thank you. James, thanks very much for the voicemail. Uh, yes, the new Android wearables are very interesting, and uh, I'm, I'm excited about them, as we talked about earlier. Um, to your specific question, you know, calls are, are going to be shown on your watch, and you're going to be able to either reject them and send a, a text message if you want or answer them. But here's the thing. Answering incoming calls still requires you to deal with them on the smartphone. Um, so there aren't any speakers on the watches, so you can't actually make a call like you can with the, uh, was it the Galaxy Gear or this? Yeah, the Samsung Galaxy Gear has speakers in it. But these new wearables, uh, the LG and Motorola and then also that other one from Samsung, they just have a microphone on it so you can do things with Google Now, but there's no speakers in it. So you can't actually play audio back to it. So yeah, you can answer it, but then you got to deal with the phone. So uh, yeah, a little bit little bit of uh, an issue there. I Actually, what I don't know is if, if you answer it, perhaps the microphone microphone in the phone uh, or in the the watch part works, but then it 
could maybe turn on the speakers on the phone. I'm not really sure how that goes, but it's, it's kind of a, unfortunately, that's one of the things that is not in this right now. Well, and also the battery uh, requirements to run a speaker is pretty high. So, I mean, you've got a display, which takes a lot, but even having an amplified speaker would be, and then of course the physical room for a speaker would be pretty tough at this point in time to get uh, integrated into a watch. So it's a, it's one of those things that maybe we'll see it in the future if, if it becomes, uh, you know, one of those things that people are asking for, perhaps. Next up, a voicemail from Adam. Hey guys, it's Adam from New Jersey. I wanted to give you a call with a, an interesting story. I decided to sign up for the T-Mobile um, test drive program this week. You know, I've had a lot of experience from the original Palm Pre on Sprint, and then I moved over to AT&T uh, with the Pre-3, had a brief stint with Windows Phone before I jumped over to Verizon on the Galaxy S4. So never had a whole lot of experience with T-Mobile, and I figured for free, and for, you know, for an iPhone 5S for a week, why not give it a try? I'm halfway through the test drive at the moment, and i got to say, I think my experience with T-Mobile is pretty much what I've typically heard. Where I have service, the service is fantastic. Pretty much, if I have, you know, if I have service, I'm getting 30 to even 40 megabits per second download speeds consistently. Anytime I do a speed test, you know, if I get under 30, it's rare. But the key caveat to that is where I have service. Um, a big part of that is at my house, I'm actually pretty much stuck on edge, where the first four speed tests I did, only one of them even got a result, and that was 0.05 megabits download speed. Pretty abysmal. So it's one of those situations where, and I've even seen this in a couple places around town, and especially some of my friend's house, it's just there's a lot of pockets where there's just no service. And I live in a pretty populated area, you know, Morris County, New Jersey. I'm in a large town, over 50,000 people. But in some of the residential areas, when you get off of the main roads, there's just no service. And I know I'm talking to the reps. Apparently, we're in one of the spots where they have not yet repurposed some of the lower banded um, edge towers to, you know, to 4G. And I guess that's just the issue. Um, but it's kind of interesting, just you know, what I've seen with T-Mobile. And it also shows me, I think, um, for now, I'm going to stick with Verizon. You know, interestingly enough, anytime I do a speed test with T-Mobile, I also do on Verizon. And what I'm finding is the speeds are all over the place with Verizon, anywhere from 2 to 3 megabits, um, you know, up to the same 20, 25, even uh, hit 30 a couple of times. Um, but the key point is it's so inconsistent. Sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's fast, but I'll say I consistently have surfaced more with Verizon. Anyway, um, you know, I'm really glad they uh, gave me the option to test drive the network because I you know, would love to switch over to them, but just, you know, as I've seen, you know, in some of the key areas, such as my house, even though I have Wi-Fi, obviously, here, but a bunch of friends' houses, there's just not a whole lot of service. So maybe I'll give them a shot a year from now. Uh, I think you can test drive once a year. Um, but for the moment, I'm sticking with Verizon. Anyway, sorry for the long message, but I thought you'd be interested in that. Talk to you guys later. Bye. All right. Thanks, Adam, for the voicemail. So interesting stuff there. Um, very, very uh, – I love hearing these stories because I people – uh, you know, we'll, we'll certainly want to know what it's like to try out T-Mobile and, you know, T-Mobile is now giving them a chance to do so. And Adam, as you've, uh, you know, looked at it here, you have now made a decision based on real world usage. And it wasn't just a, well, I've got a friend who's using it and it didn't work. You actually said, all right, I'm going to use this here and try it out. And just a couple of days in, 
pretty apparent that it's probably not going to be the right service for you. Uh, you know, knowing that there's, you know, edge only at your house is probably a pretty big deal. Certainly you could get around it by Wi-Fi and the Wi-Fi calling that they have, but you know, maybe something that you don't want to necessarily compromise on. If you don't have a, a home internet connection for a couple hours, as an example, you don't want to have to be stuck on edge just because of it. No, and edge is a, that's a little indicative too, that you may be in a low signal strength area. Of course, if that's the case, your battery life will suffer. Yeah, that's a good point as well. Uh, and not to mention, you go over to friends and family's homes, and uh, you've already seen that the service is dropping down there for you as well. Um, this reminds me a lot of uh, my experiences with T-Mobile and uh, you know, with the, the tablet data that I used just a couple of weeks back. Um, I totally agree with you. Where it's there, uh, it's really, really good. Um, but, uh, it's, it's not everywhere. And in fact, in that, that, that kitchen that I complain about <laughs> where I don't have service, um, it, occasionally I will see the one X and so I'll be able to get a phone call and, uh, be able to uh, run out and take the call. But, uh, T-Mobile was, it was a very clear, no service in that area. So, um, you know, lots of things to, uh, to deal with, with this, but obviously this is what the trial is for to get the phone, to try the service, to understand if it's going to work for you. And ultimately if it does, then you've got yourself, uh, it's pretty much set, but if it doesn't send it back, no big deal. That's, that's kind of what their point is here is that, you know, they understand that the service is not going to be the best for everybody. They think it's really great. And so they're willing to put their name behind it and uh, try it out and just see how it goes. So thanks Adam very much for your commentary there. And finally this week, a comment from Bryce. And he says, guys, just a comment on your last episode in regards to T-Mobile and the net neutrality debate. The money that I pay for one byte or another has nothing to do with net neutrality. Net neutrality only applies to whether or not those bytes are being prioritized over other bytes in one way or another. T-Mobile's plan does not in any way suggest that they're going to be giving you that data any faster or prioritizing any other data. They're just choosing to not bill you for some of the data that you use. So if Netflix wants to charge me $1.99 for one movie and $2.99 for another, assuming they're both taking up the same amount of bandwidth. Is that a net neutrality issue? No, of course not. Even though I'm paying for more uh, of some bytes than other bytes, if those bytes are going through the network at the same speed, then T-Mobile is neutral in their treatment of both bytes. The cost of data is not a factor in the net neutrality debate. Uh, loyal listener, Bryce. So, uh, first off, Bryce, thank you very much for for clarifying that and, and explaining how uh, kind of how that works in in a real world scenario. Um, the the issues that I potentially see for T-Mobile are if they're going to offer these different services to people for free, or at least not in being billed in their data. What are they going to be doing with these other services? And and I know they said they'll be you know taking polls and and trying to see what uh, you know what services people want to use. And hopefully, ultimately, they'll just say if we get you know a hundred or a thousand people that ask for a service, we'll just throw it on there. And that that to me completely removes this net neutrality thing. But um, and to your point, they're not taking any money from them. And so they're not prioritizing um, that data over another because that that is kind of what what would happen. It's, it's not the exchange of money, but it's because of the exchange of money, what it actually does to the prioritization of the data. And so uh, if they're not doing any of that, it's really not a big deal. And I think with the speed test thing as well, um, it just happens to be an app that they're saying this is not included in any of the data allotment that you're using. Uh, I wonder where this is going to go next. Is it going to be uh, they're going to do video? My thought is no, just because they've got 
you know, that would be just an absolute uh, unbelievable amount of data that would get used. Think about how many people would just all of a sudden now start watching Netflix on their phone just because and potentially cause an issue in the amount of uh, or the, the quality of service that you would get with the amount of data that they're, they're using on there. So but they could be adding other uh, other services here where they're starting to just say whatever it's uh, you can use as much as you want here and it doesn't count against your allotment. Keep in mind with T-Mobile, even when you do hit that cap, if you're not paying for unlimited data, if you hit that one or three gig or five gig cap that you have on your plan, they still offer you unlimited service after that. It's just at reduced speeds. So there's um, there's great things to, uh, to consider when you're looking at this, where if you want to pay a little bit less and you want to use one gig of data, and w- once you get there, uh, you can still use your device. It's just a little bit slower. You can certainly do that. Um, so, But Bryce, thank you very much for your commentary on that and kind of clarification. Yeah, the only thing that uh, you know I see is becomes a potential issue in the future. Yeah, right now they're not doing it, but will they start billing for different style data in the future? And then to me, even though it's not being prioritized, to me that still seems like a net neutrality issue because then different data types are being billed at different rates, and that also kind of goes against with what uh, you know the data is data. You know, this is per, you know you're being build per kilobyte for no, no matter what type of data. So this is where I see the issue it will be the next step is uh, where I think could be the problem. At the very least, they're spinning this in a way that makes it sound very pro-consumer at this point, which is exactly what they need to be doing for it to be adopted by people. And that is to say, hey, you stream music. We all stream music. It's great. It's a great way to kind of manage the process of, of music listening because you're not having to deal with all of the music that you have on your phone all the time or spending more money on a phone just because you need to store all of your music on it. You can stream that now. And that makes sense. Obviously, I would love to be able to figure out a way to, you know, again, if it was, um, you know, the type of data, obviously, they're just punching in an IP or a URL into their system and saying if it's coming from, you know, Pandora or Slacker or whatever it is, then don't build that. But you're doing something totally different. Let's say you're uh, you've got a home NAS where you've got a bunch of music stored and you're using an application that was created for that particular product to stream music because you've got all your music there and you want it to stream it to yourself. That's still going to use data because that's not a particular service that's being offered for Internet music streaming. Granted, this is a, a very probably small scenario, but uh, I've done it uh, before where I've logged into my home network and stream music uh, off of uh, hard drives that I've got here. And that's kind of an interesting thing to be able to do because you don't have to store the music on the device, uh, but you still have access to it when you're on the go. That's not going to count with this. So um, I, I know, again, small use case scenario. The, these are these are not things that the average person is going to do. And that's what they're banking on. But uh, just kind of some interesting you know, fodder and conversation there, not insinuating anything other than we've got an interesting time ahead of us for how data is being used, how much data is being used, and how the carriers are dealing with it. Because it's just a flood that's coming to us right now, and it's about to be a tsunami for sure. Well, if you have any questions or comments for us, you can get in touch with us by sending us email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or giving us a call 206 206- 203-3734. Either way, we'll get your questions and comments to us, and we'd love to hear from you, and we'll discuss whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.